Good day, friends. Welcome to Sunday Letters, episode number 216, Kropotkin and the Conquest of Bread. Kropotkin was an aristocrat from a very strong ruling class in Russia around about mid-19th century. And uh, the conquest of bread was his philosophy on work, on economy, on society. Uh, he was an anarchist, uh, considered or named, called the anarchist prince. He was destined for high status in society, but instead he chose activism. And I'm talking a little bit about him this week. Um, I like to poke around in writings that came well before uh, modern society and what they had to say about work and culture and economy and what have you. Because in those early philosophies uh, is the seed of something important that still carries true, that um, is essentially human insofar as we all look for fairness, we all look for equity, we uh, have a certain amount of disdain for those who hoard wealth and don't share it, um, are willing to accept and watch uh, those who are weaker and more vulnerable in society suffer. That goes on today. It goes on wholesale. And when we look at some of the writings of uh, the likes of Kropotkin and Marx and those who brought about this kind of revolution, at a time there was revolution, it was a technological revolution in Europe and in America, where uh, industrialization was well underway and globalization was well underway and big change was happening. Uh, the aristocratic ruling families and uh, classes across Europe began to disintegrate. Revolution was rife and there was great disturbance and war and suffering on the part of ordinary people. And the likes of Kropotkin and, and people like him wrote extensively on how society should be structured based on on values of fairness and equity and what have you. So uh, these, these philosophies uh, resultingly became corrupted, um, as they often are. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit this week, tell you a little bit about uh, Kropotkin and his philosophy and how that's still relevant today. But first, I'd like to prompt you to get over to sundayletters.larrygmaguire.com. There's a link in today's show notes where you can subscribe uh, and become a patron of this podcast and of the newsletter. The newsletter actually encompasses uh, three newsletters in one. So uh, I write about the future of work. I write about uh, what's called unworking, which is essentially undoing our hegemonic common sense about work and how we relate to it, and also society. So I write about broader societal issues. Uh, I am fundamentally a humanist socialist insofar as I am for people uh, rather than organizations. So people come first and should come first. And there's a there's a, a message, I suppose, from the realms of industry that suggests once you look after your people, your organization will look after itself. And there's a big chunk of truth in that. But oftentimes uh, our motivations are corrupted by the pursuit of profit. 
uh, and profit becomes more important than people. So this is my motivation. And I talk about it in terms of work, you know, and commanding our own work. If there's if there's a message from everything that I write and everything that I record, it is to prompt you to command your own work. Take control of it. Say what it is you want to do uh, for work. Do that. Earn a living and be happy with it. You know, it's like the dominant narrative in our society today. Uh, it's kind of this uh, entrepreneurial kind of self-image capitalist ideology that says you've got to keep making more and more and more um, every year. And it's like a growth oriented idea of what life should be like. And the result of that is that other people suffer. So this is this is what I write about. This is what I talk about. If that's your bag, if you value what I do and you like reading what I read and listening to what I record, become a patron. It's only a five a month or less. You can actually get it for three euro or three dollars thirty cent a month if you buy the the discounted yearly subscription. Anyway, the links are there in the show notes. Hit on that blue button or the link at the in the show notes, and it'll take you to the to the subscribe page. If you do, I greatly appreciate it. It'll help me run this newsletter, run this podcast, and uh, do the work that I love to do. Um, and if you don't and you just listen and hear, well, then that's great. Uh, when you sign up, incidentally, you'll get access to uh, bonus episodes and member only content that I publish during the week. Uh, the Sunday Letters edition issue is free. Always will be free. Always has been free. And if you engage with that, well, then that's almost payment enough. I don't do it for the money. I do it for the enjoyment and the exploration and the curiosity uh, of figuring these things out and looking into new ways of thinking and what have you. So that's it. So let's get on to Mr. Peter Kropotkin, Prince Peter Kropotkin. In today's Sunday Letters essay, I'm taking a look at the anarchist-communist philosophy of the Russian prince and social activist Peter Kropotkin. He envisioned a socialist revolution, a revolution of the people. But was his vision for society too idealistic to work? Is our society today any different from Kropotkin's era? Most commentators suggest our working conditions and freedoms have improved 100-fold. But large numbers of people are dissatisfied with work, still seeing it as a means to an end. So have things really improved? 100 years after Kropotkin's death, let's examine his anarchist philosophy and its parallels with today's society. If socialism is a dirty word, Anarchism is downright filth, where the former is a cynical means by which the lazy and inept in our society scheme to lie about all day, doing little, while hard-working citizens like you and me pay for it. The latter steals from our pockets and destroys everything we own. Of course, this is the Fox News or Daily Mirror version. The reality is very different. Anarchism, and by extension socialism, are not about you and I propping up the wasters in society and wielding the wrecking ball on society. Rather, their fundamental premise was founded on equality and fairness for all and the removal of exploitation by dictators and bureaucrats of those in society who are weaker. Anarchism has its roots in the socialist movements of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, where its idealism centered upon ultra-democratic principles of fairness, economic equality, individual and collective freedom, the integrity of self-directed work, and non-hierarchical 
socially led politics. Unfortunately, as it has been with most, if not all, social change through history, violence and destruction are never far away and serve to taint the ideals that gave birth to those movements. Lenin's vision of socialism and the corruption of Marxist ideas, the communist dictatorship of the proletariat, is case in point. One of the modern era's most recent anarchist initiatives was the Occupy Wall Street movement post-2008 global financial crash. People were irate with the boldness and arrogance of the political financial elite that ran the show. These were and are the real pickpockets of ordinary working people, not the unemployed and disadvantaged. However, in spite of the sympathy the movement received, its leftist ideology, which sought to address the imbalance, failed to to drum up a long-lasting following. It was merely a flash of idealism that peered out from a gap in the capitalist fabric of US society. The reason to fight must become compelling and inevitable for real change to happen. It must be enduring too, and I wonder if most Americans, British, Europeans and others in the global north are simply too comfortable to fight, even in spite of the raging inflation we're currently experiencing. Anarchism's 2011 display of rage against the machine of capitalism and the inequality it breeds petered out and and people once again settled into their jobs or their unemployment. Powerless to make a lasting change and alienated once again from the promise of work that might possibly bring about fulfilment and freedom, people got on with their lives. Although founded on a principle of freedom and liberty from the tyranny of hierarchical systems, Some suggest that anarchism may be too interested in making bold statements through violent action. It is argued that it has no lasting impact because it lacks the ability to think strategically about the change it wishes to see. As the populist idea goes, anarchism is too interested in looting, burning, rioting and being a general nuisance to society to becoming a popular long-lasting movement for change. But perhaps this idea is too simple. What is anarchism? The late David Graeber in a 2011 article for Al Jazeera said the following of anarchism. The easiest way to explain anarchism is to say that it is a political movement that aims to bring about a genuinely free society, that is, one where humans only enter those kinds of relations with one another that would not have to be enforced by the constant threat of violence. History has shown that vast inequalities of wealth Institutions like slavery, debt peonage or wage labour can only exist if backed up by armies, prisons and police. Anarchists wish to see human relations that would not have to be backed up by armies, prisons and police. Anarchism envisions a society based on equality and solidarity, which could exist solely on the free consent of participants. There is a long tradition of political and intellectual anarchist thought, one of the most astute being the 19th century anarchist communist Peter Kropotkin. For an extensive collection of political and intellectual writings from Kropotkin and others, see the Anarchist Library, the Monthly Review and Freedom Press. Kropotkin was a blue-blood aristocrat born to an ancient noble family descendant from the 9th century Rurik dynasty and the first rulers of Russia. Despite his privileged background, he railed against its imperial status and its abuse of power over the people. His father was, in his eyes, the embodiment of Tsarist Russia and its military bureaucratic state. And although highly regarded in political and social circles, 
Kropotkin dedicated his time and life to activism. Peter's home life was irrationally disciplinarian, and he viewed his father's contempt and cruelty towards servants as despicable. As such, Peter developed a strong empathy for ordinary people. He wrote, I do not know what have become of us if we had not found in our house, amidst the serf and servants, that atmosphere of love which children must have around them. It was this childhood experience and the contrast between the cold imperialist attitude of his parents and the open and loving arms of the servants that laid the foundation for his later thought and writing, the most influential of which was The Conquest of Bread. This book is said to capture Kropotkin's philosophy more than any other of his writings. His vision of the anarchist society was based on camaraderie rather than hierarchy and goodwill rather than coercion and was founded on a profound optimism of the human nature. It is a system of society based on cooperation, fairness, collectivism and the belief that these traits of being are natural and innate to human beings. Kropotkin on work and capitalism. However, Kropotkin's anarchism wasn't without its challenges. For example, how may anarchism be made compatible with modern technological society and growing consumerism? The Conquest of Bread was first published in a series of articles, then republished in a single volume in 1892, and was his attempt to address these concerns in simple terms. He started from the assumption that property must be collectively owned because in the complex modern world where everything is interdependent, claiming a single origin for a product of industry was untenable. He also wrote that keeping the wage system unequal would only ensure the survival of competitiveness and selfishness. Wages would have to be distributed equally and goods and services distributed freely by democratic bodies. The economy would then be organised according to the economist, the communist first principle from each according to their ability and to each according to their need. These ideas are so alien to a mind educated and raised in a capitalist culture that they seem completely absurd and unworkable. But Kropotkin believed that this radical equality should govern all spheres of life. He argued that the normal division of labour that privileged intellectual, white-collar workers enjoyed over manual workers consigned most people to monotonous and soul-destroying work. Labour was to be shared and mental and manual tasks integrated so that work could no longer be a course and instead be the free exercise of all the faculties of humankind. His critique of specialisation and hierarchy was also applied to the global economy. An early critic of globalisation, Kropotkin argued that industry and agriculture must be integrated into all regions of the world ensuring self-sufficiency. Developing countries were to be aided towards industrialization and therefore rectify the growing gap between rich and poor. Kropotkin's anarchism was a rigorous and coherent application of radical bureaucracy, democracy and equality to all areas of life. It did not, for example, require a central state body to distribute wages according to performance and so avoided the potential authoritarianism of other versions of anarchism. However, it did show Kropotkin to be overly idealistic with a naive view of human nature. What about people who refused to work or those who behaved antisocially? Would eliminating market incentives not undermine a functioning economy, bringing it to its knees? On the subject of production, Kropotkin insisted that collective organisation and participation were more efficient than the managerialism common to private firms. Enjoyable work, 
Kropotkin argued, and workers' knowledge that they were working for the common good provided higher incentives than being compelled to work under the threat of starvation and punishment. It was the democratic organisation of work. Kropotkin also insisted that eliminating market capitalism would improve, not undermine market efficiency and minimise waste. For instance, abolishing private banks, he suggested, would remove parasitic middlemen, allowing resources to be directed to those parts of society that desperately needed them. Similarly, local economic self-sufficiency would remove the expense of transport systems and communications required by the increasingly specialised global economy. For Kropotkin, a more egalitarian society with fair patterns of consumption was possible, and at the root of this argument was his conviction that the economy already produced enough to provide everyone with a good standard of living. The problem, he insisted, was with distribution rather than production. In the title Fields, Factories and Workshops, Kropotkin demonstrated that humanity already possessed the technical means to produce healthy food abundantly for everyone, with relatively little effort and expense. We know this today also, although the imperative to hoard wealth and resources remains in place. The precursors to today's factory farms existed at this time, and which, Kropotka noted, destroyed the soil for generations and displaced many people who might otherwise obtain a comfortable living from the land. On the subject of wages, Kropotkin suggested that if people had the means to support themselves, to meet their daily requirements without the need to hire out their bodies for payment, no one would consent to work for wages, which are, he insisted, inevitably a mere fraction of the value of the goods or services they produce. Even the independent artisan worker of Kropotkin's time could barely do better than support his family, let alone save for his old age. Have things changed for the better? Here we are today, just over 100 years since Kropotkin's death, and I wonder, are things fundamentally any different? Technology is a bit of a double-edged sword insofar as it has improved materially the lives of millions of people, but it has also worsened the lives of many more. African children still dig in mines for precious metals. Indian girls are forced into the sex trade in the slums of Mumbai. And illegal migrants in the US are forced to work in cramped rooms all day and night for meagre wages. Jason Hickel, economic anthropologist and author, writes extensively on globalisation and the damage it does to people in the global south. They are, he suggests, paying for the luxury that we in the north enjoy. In a recent article, Hickel says that extreme poverty is not natural, it's created. Exploitation in the name of capitalism carries on. Kropotkin sought a global revolution, whereby working people would overthrow their capitalist overlords. It didn't happen. And although there are brief flurries of anarchist activity, as we saw in the 2011 Occupy movement, they are short-lived. I sense that we have become too comfortable, too easily manipulated and made weak by the ease at which life comes. Yet, ironically, we are deeply dissatisfied and unhappy with work. We may wear different clothes, have access to a universe of information in our pockets, enjoy better healthcare, have access to endless entertainment, and the opportunity to satisfy our every whim. But are we really better off? And crucially, have we found a way to work free? I'm not so sure the conquest of bread has ever been satisfied, and perhaps it never will. Thanks for listening to today's Sunday Letters. 
reading the likes of Kropotkin and Marx and other writers such as these, you can't help but be captured by the elements of truth um, that that they highlight. Okay, uh, what they write about can't be uh, prescriptive in the sense that here's the solution, apply it to everyone and everything will be okay. That's not how the world works. There is a huge diversity of thinking and uh, demand and what have you. But there is um, in all of us this sense of fairness and equity that we seek, you know, even in modern terms and uh, psychological studies in the workplace have identified and for since the 50s and 40s have identified equity and equality as being central to um uh, satisfaction with work and happiness in the workplace. How can you be happy if you're in a job whereby you are, you are paid less than somebody else in the same job, even in another organization? So we have built into our society and the structure of our, our society and the way we carry on our affairs a large degree of unfairness. And we look at people in the global south, people in South America and underdeveloped countries in Africa and what have you, and we say, you know, these are the people who make the clothes we wear. These are the people who build the electronics that go into all our devices and, uh, you know, are smart, this, that and the other. Um, and they're paid pence compared to what we're paid. And we say, oh, that's all right. They have uh, a wage that's, you know, fair and proper for the society in which they live. But we're talking about people who live in shacks on the side of hills. We're talking about children in Africa that are sent down holes to dig out precious metals that go into our phones and our computers. And the people who buy those metals, the mining companies that employ these subcontractors, which are really just desperate uh, people in underdeveloped countries who in turn hire even more desperate people to carry out this work, they ignore the fact that working conditions are terrible and they just put their hands in the air and say there's nothing we can do and um, there's something we can do and we, we we fail to recognize that it is our past mistakes that have created this large imbalance in the world and it's causing environmental disasters it's causing floods of people to leave africa cross the mediterranean and into into europe and move from asia uh eastern europe outside the EU, for example, and from Asian countries across North African countries into Europe and create these massive humanitarian problems that we see and we have seen over the last 20 years. Um, and also the problem that we see in Ukraine at the moment with Russia and the war uh, in Ukraine, how it has basically crippled global uh, food supplies. This is a crazy situation. So okay, there are benefits to globalization and all of this kind of thing, but uh, it, it brings with it um, an enormous amount of inequality and tragedy to the lives of human beings. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about um, the assault on human beings that work is. So desperate people do desperate things to survive and it can be better. Now, all right, these uh, philosophies, the likes of Kropotkin and what have you, um, they're not meant to solve the world's problems, but they can open our eyes to what we're doing 
and we can begin to change how we work and the expectations we have for the work we do and maybe improve our lives and give up this endless pursuit of of stuff you know i think it's a big problem and in turn we we have a role to play in fixing all the problems in the world and if the likes of this highlights uh some of that and helps you change your habits and your behavior well then maybe maybe that's a good thing on mine um to get the writings that i'm that i write about and talk about kropotkin and marx and other socialist ideas there are some links in today's article you can you can grab those and check them out um i'm not suggesting that we tear down capitalist systems today because that would just destroy everything yeah but we we do have we do have an option we do have a choice about how we conduct ourselves and i think this black and white idea of the world that you know you work hard you make a good living and that's all you have to do um well, I think it's a little bit naive. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's article um, and audio. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please consider becoming a patron. You can do so uh, on Sunday Letters. There's a link in the show notes. And also, you can become a subscriber on Apple Podcasts and you'll get access to uh, bonus editions that go out during the week. Um, I hope you'll consider it. If not, doesn't matter. I'll see you back here next Sunday. Uh, I've been Larry McGuire. You've been listening to Sunday Letters. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'll see you during the week. If you're a subscriber, I'll see you during the week for some additional material. If not, I'll see you next Sunday. All right. Take care of yourselves. All the best for now.